0: Good morning. Good morning. I have a secret to tell you. If you would have asked me seven years ago if I was a climate activist, I would have told you no. At that time, I was a political director for a labor union. And my job at that time was to make sure that the BWI food and retail workers earned a living wage. At that time, most of them earned about $7. And even though they would work for the same company amongst different stores, they were often not given their full-time wages. Many of them traveled hours to work using the light rail, the bus system, and sometimes even walking several miles because the transit destinations didn't fully get them there. And I remember a day where I picked up one of our airport workers, and I picked her up in a neighborhood in Baltimore where her house was the only house that wasn't vacant on the block. And we were to go that day to speak with the legislator to tell them about the plight of the BWI food and retail workers. And she had just had a six-month-old, and she looked at me and she said, I don't have any food. And so before we went to Annapolis, I made sure that we took her grocery shopping, but I always thought to myself, I can't keep buying her groceries, and what is she going to do when these groceries run out? And it always stuck with me, was I doing enough? Even if I got her a living wage, would that be enough to lift her family out of poverty? And as part of being a political organizer for that union, we also really had to make hard decisions about what elected officials would be the best supporters for our issues. And at that time in Baltimore, the labor unions were reeling from the loss of jobs. Bethlehem Steel had long been shuttered, and they were looking for any way to build back their labor unions and to keep the hardworking men and women in jobs that once built Baltimore and once provided them with family-sustaining jobs. And at that time, there were two big issues. One of them was fracking, and the other was incineration. And for those of you that aren't familiar with incineration, though I'm sure you are as I look out in this crowd and see a lot of familiar faces, that is where you take trash and medical waste and you burn it and you turn it into electricity. And I think you're all familiar with fracking and the threat that it caused. And one of the decisions that we based on whether or not we would endorse candidates was if they would support fracking coming back, coming to Maryland, and also if they would support incineration. And for me, it was a challenge because I was thinking, how do I help people like Natalie, and how do I help or rebuild our unions without destroying our communities. And I knew that there had to be a better way. And at that time, I had gotten a call from our lobbyist who said, I really want you to apply for this job at this organization called Chesapeake Climate Action Network. And I said, no. (laughs) It's like, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not an environmentalist. And this doesn't really make sense. I want to make sure that I'm working with the people on the ground that are really suffering the most and he called again and i said no again and he called a third time and he said you really need to interview with these folks and so i walked into the interview and there was this man there named mike tidwell and he's a leader of a regional group and that's been working for about 20 years in maryland to fight climate change in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. and He sat me down, and he told me about this vision that he had where folks could, that they would rebuild Bethlehem Steel in Baltimore, and they would make solar panels, and they would make wind turbines. And I thought to myself, this is the way to help Natalie, and this is the way to help rebuild our unions. And so I just wanted to share a few lessons that I've learned along the way about being a climate activist, which I proudly claim now. Uh, So the first one is that being a leader is to have hope in the face of uncertainty. And I think one of the greatest examples that I've faced with that was the campaign in Frostburg, Maryland to ban fracking. A lot of you remember the fight a few years ago to have that glorious win here in Maryland. But at the time, a lot of the Western Maryland legislators were saying that western maryland residents wanted to see fracking come to their communities they wanted it so badly because the coal jobs were drying up there wasn't any industry and fracking was going to be the magic bullet that solved all of their problems and they were telling this story to all of the legislators downstate in Annapolis. and we realized that as western marylanders we really didn't have a voice that represented how we really felt And so I met with a group of fracking activists in Karen Crosby's church in Frostburg, Maryland, and that became our meeting home. And week after week, we would gather there, and one day a council member came in, and he said, I will introduce a resolution to ban fracking. And he goes, well, I actually introduce an ordinance to ban fracking in Maryland because we had found a loophole in the zoning that would allow us to keep fracking from coming into Frostburg. And he said, but you have to bring the people. I'm not going to do this and go out on a limb. You have to bring, you have to get 300 petitions signed, and I will support this ban. And he said, OK, we're going to do it. And we did not get 200 petitions. We didn't get 500 petitions. We didn't get 700 petitions. We got over 1,000 petitions and 20 businesses in support of a ban ordinance in Frostburg. And I remember we were going to hold a big rally, and we were going to introduce the ordinance. And I was so excited because my family comes from Frostburg, Maryland. And my grandfather was a civil rights activist there. And I was going to be speaking just like he did to protect his community. And I was so excited that day that the band was going to be introduced. And I got a phone call. And they said, the councilman is refusing to introduce the band ordinance. I said, okay, And then I got another phone call. And the mayor had called all of the speakers that were elected officials and told them do not come and speak at the rally. And I kept calling our press coordinator to tell them, please take them off of the press release and take them off of the press release. And I remember driving to Frostburg for a rally to introduce a ban ordinance with no speakers. And. All of the activists were calling in and saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I said, we're going to make our voices heard. Because even if there's not a banned ordinance, at least they'll know with this many people gathering that we really don't want it here. And all of our hearts were broke, but we put together some volunteer speakers that day. And I remember we we were in a parking garage, actually. There's not a lot of good places to hold rallies in Frostburg. And I remember first there was 50 people that came in, and then 75 people, and then 200 people. And in that moment, I walked out because when when you do this for a living, Barb and Carol, I'm sure you know, sometimes you don't take a breath to actually celebrate your wins. And I remember going outside and just crying because it was so good to see so many people coming together, even though we lost. Even though we did lost all of our speakers, even though they weren't going to introduce the ban ordinance, we still had hope. And I remember us walking 250 people strong into a crowded community center, and the city council members looked at us, and they said, we know why you're here, and we're going to introduce the ban ordinance. And Still to this day, that was the power of the people. And I believe over 100 people spoke that. night, probably one of the longest city council meetings they ever had about why it was so important to protect their land and then to protect their communities. So even when all hope is gone, we are called as leaders to still have hope in the face of great uncertainty. The second lesson I've learned along this work is to take risk because sometimes David does beat Goliath. And Frederick County, you were an important part of our fracking campaign. You all also introduced a resolution and were relentless. I think your city council members were also very tired of seeing you all week after week, after week, after week, after week. Uh, And so by the time we got to the state legislative session, We had had over 12 of the jurisdictions say that they did not want fracking, and we wanted a full ban. We did not want a moratorium, which meant they would just kick the decision down the road, because for many that would mean that they couldn't expand their businesses. They couldn't decide whether or not they would continue to build their homes in Western Maryland, and so the activists were asking not for another moratorium, but for a full ban, and we had passed the fracking ban in the House, but we were facing insurmountable challenges in the Senate. And as the weeks were winding down, we said, what should we do? And we said, we should stage a civil disobedience and get arrested on the Capitol steps. And as a black woman, that's a very scary thing. And I didn't want to do it, but I needed to do it. And I remember I was... Myself and Annie Bristow and a few other fracking activists, we got in the car early in the morning because we knew at 9 AM we were going to sit down on those Capitol steps and refuse to move. And I was scared because if I had a record, what would that mean for future jobs? Would I be treated differently because I was a black woman amongst a bunch of white activists that were getting arrested? And I think we've all seen the police brutality. And so to put yourself in harm's way intentionally, was very, very frightening for me. And I remember we were all huddled together and it was a very cold day and I was shaking and my friend lent me his gloves, but I wasn't shaking because I was cold, I was shaking because I was so scared. And they took us to jail, we waited there eight hours and I remember coming home exhausted and just going to sleep, but proud that I had laid everything on the line to save my home. And the next day, I got a call from our political director, James McGarry. And he goes, Brooke, I've got to tell you something. Governor Hogan is going to announce that he's going to support the fracking ban. And I was like, I'm tired. Leave me alone. It's been a long day. And I hung up the phone on him. And he called me back, and he goes, no, I'm serious. Turn on your computer. He's announcing it. And sure enough, he was announcing that he was supporting the fracking ban. And I remember driving to Annapolis and, you know, we've got a beautiful mountainscape. And I looked up at those mountains and for the first time in a few months, I felt that finally my home was safe. The third lesson I've learned is to celebrate the wins as well as to mourn the losses. We need to take time to celebrate the wins. Barb, I'm so glad that you're celebrating the win. And we also need to take time to mourn the losses. At the same time that Governor Hogan was announcing his support of the fracking ban, he was also negotiating with TransCanada Energy to construct the Potomac Pipeline. And for those of us in Maryland, we've been very fortunate that once again, communities stood up and rallied and stopped that pipeline, although now the fate of that pipeline is still unknown. But for our friends in West Virginia, the construction of the Potomac pipeline went forward. And we had to mourn that loss because it is a loss when you've put so many hours and so much time. I used to joke that this was the last press conference for the Potomac pipeline because we did 23 press conferences for the <laughs> campaign it's never the last press conference um but for our friends in west virginia unfortunately they did not win but they continued to fight but one of the ways that we mourned the loss was the pipeline was going through a farm of a family called the key and they had farmed that land for generations upon generations upon generations and the pipeline was going to come right through their land and so folks sat together and they made a mandala and they blessed the land for protection and they cried with one another and they hugged one another and in this hard hard work always celebrate the wins and mourn the losses but even when you lose I still think you win because the communities still come back stronger. The folks in West Virginia that are fighting the Potomac Pipeline, that fought the Potomac Pipeline, are now fighting the Rockwool facility and fighting so many other fights. And I've seen so many leaders emerge out of there, like Tracy Cannon, who is terrified of public speaking, but who now is organizing her own rallies and getting the West Virginia DEQ to hold hearings and organizing amongst her community. And the same Frack Free Frostburg activists showed up in solidarity with the folks in Minnesota that are fighting Line 3. And so even though many times we lose, we always win because our communities grow stronger, they grow more educated, and they learn how to fight for the long haul. And the last lesson I've learned is really, every one of us has a part. Every one of us has a part. I was just talking to an activist, Tracy Garrett, and she lives in Anne Arundel County, and they are a community that's really been impacted by cumulative impacts. They're a Superfund site. They have about 395 trucks a day that run down a road that is a scenic road. Um, So it's not equipped for that type of truck traffic, landfills and all kinds of other things. And she was so tired and she said, even talking to you is taking time out of my day. And Uh, (laughs) And she goes, we keep being asked to come to our own rescue. And I stopped for a moment and I just cried and normally I don't cry. But it it caught me in a way because we are asking people to come to their own rescue. We have to come to our own rescue. And I know some of you have all the time in the world, and some of you have no time in the world at all, but do what you can because we are all being asked to come to our own rescue and to rescue our climate. And the last thing I'd like to share with you Is about two months ago, I got a call, and they said there's gonna be a big US wind announcement, and that's one of the offshore wind companies um, that did a bid in Maryland for the Clean Energy Jobs Act to bring more offshore wind to Maryland. They said, okay. And they got, what's the big announcement? And they're like, it's embargoed. And I was like, you can tell me the big announcement. And the big announcement was that that vision actually came true of rebuilding wind turbines in Bethlehem Steel. And a few weeks ago, US Wind announced that they will be rebuilding Bethlehem Steel as the place to rebuild the wind turbines. And so, when we all do what we can, sometimes David does beat Goliath. And in this case, David has to beat Goliath because our very humanity depends on it. And so I ask each of you to do what we can as we have one of the greatest moments and probably the most important moment in our history as Congress is debating the two bills that could literally determine our climate fate. So whether you can go to D.C. in person, whether you can make a phone call, whether you can go to a protest, please do it because this is our last chance and we thank you all for your efforts for keeping this a part of your faith community and remember we do have to come to our own rescue thank you all so much